Canuck Central Hour number two in the Kintech studio. This hour brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited. Your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Um, bunch of things on the go. If you missed hour one of the show, John Garrett, always bringing the heat, always with some great insight. Uh, he joined us, and more on what could be happening ahead of tomorrow's 12 o'clock Pacific NHL trade deadline from a Vancouver Canucks perspective. Uh, so if you missed that, go back and check it in hour one of the show. But um, so I was mentioning a lot of uh, statistics with John Garrett, Sat. Yeah. Yes, So like what Garrett how do the Canucks get better? Yeah. It's pretty obvious why they feel they need another defenseman. I mean, need two more defensemen. Then uh, they still need more, yes. Even beyond Heronic. Yes. Um, so as I was going through today, I'm looking at the different D pairs the Canucks have trotted out this season. Oh, fun. Uh, <laughs> this, this is, this is going to probably suck the life out of my soul hearing this, but I can't wait. There are eight defense pairs that have played more than 100 minutes for the Vancouver Canucks this year. So eight different combinations okay, of defensemen that have played more than 100 minutes together at five on five. 100 minutes. So, so that's like roughly five to six games. Yeah. Oh, so like six, five on five, like six or seven games. Yeah. yeah. So decent, decent sample. Decent yeah. sample. Yeah. Um, Three of them mm -hmm. control the goals on the ice by a better than 60% margin. Three? So three out of three. eight? Three. Three out, out eight. of eight. Almost half. Uh, anyone that has Quinn Hughes on. Oh. So Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen are uh, 29 goals, 4, 19 against. Quinn Hughes and Ethan Bear are 18 goals, 11 against. Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers are nine goals and five against in a short, short sample size. Every other pair that has played 100 minutes or more together does not control the goals at better than 40%. So you're saying they need another defenseman to do what Quinn Hughes does. <laughs> or at least be like 50%, like be able to carry a pair to even goals. Oh, I mean, it's it just shows you how bad they've been defensively, right? And goaltending plays a part in it, but it shows you how much Quinn elevates everybody. What you need is to have players who elevate yes. in your environment. And the Canucks haven't had enough defenders who do that. And Quinn's the only guy. Everybody else is kind of like, you know, oh, we all played okay last year, right? He yeah. played well last year, but not as the anchor. Mm-hmm. You know, the hope was maybe he takes another step this year, and if anything, took a step back, and now he's been injured. How does he fit into the equation next season? But it's very clear, based on what you're showing, and this is something we see as well, the Canucks only have one pair. They need a second pair, right? They need to have another yeah. pairing. And just getting heroic doesn't, you know, give your team two great pairs, but now gives you an opportunity, perhaps, to build a second pair. Because no matter who you're playing cues with, even if it's imperfect, like it is with Bear... You're getting top pair value. At the very least. Like, hey, you have Bear in your back pocket. Yep. Maybe it's not ideal. So I, I, th I look at Ethan Bear, Dan, and I say, for next year, if the team's trying to make the playoffs, which they clearly are, and you're not looking to really contend for the cup yet, I mean, you're trying to build towards that, I can live with Quinn Hughes being, I mean, uh, Ethan Bear being in your top four. Yeah. I don't think Ethan Bear is going to be the right top four defenseman for this team when they're ready to truly contend, if they get to that point. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's a guy that you can trust in the playoffs to be the conscience having Quinn Hughes next to him. Like, I think you need to upgrade that. But I can see, like, now that they added Heronic, if you add one more defenseman to play with him, yeah, now you have two pairs. It's like um, 
look, and and it's great to have defensemen that over the course of a season bring you value and will outscore, you know, help you outscore the opponents in a large sample mm-hmm. over the course of a regular season. Where did Ethan Bear's biggest problems pop up when he was in Edmonton? It was in the playoffs. Yeah. Because those mistakes, those giveaways, the missed assignment, it is that much more amplified yeah. in a short sample and probably a tight game that is the playoffs where one goal exactly. generally decides the outcome. It, mistakes are There are fewer mistakes because the mistakes are what lead to goals, yes. right? And the more mistakes you make, the more amplified they become. And that's where the issues are. But Barry can help you get to the postseason playing mm-hmm. alongside Quinn Hughes. So if next year is a step forward, if you can do that, I can, I'm fine with it, right? So I don't think you have to find two defensemen. Like, I don't think you have to necessarily find... Well, I think you do have long-term. Like, absolutely. Like, long-term, you have to find another righty defenseman that's your long-term partner for Quinn. For next year, I think the focus should be to try to find a lefty defenseman who can kill penalties and play well defensively. Yeah. Essentially, somebody you can play with Hronik. Because mm-hmm. if you do that, now all of a sudden, you do have two pairs. And it's far easier for you to solve the lefty penalty killer, defensive defenseman, or a guy who can do certain things for you than the right, righty. Mm-hmm. If you clear enough cap space, there are guys available this year. Gavrikov is a player. Like honestly, I was just gonna say, does does this potential defenseman play the left side? Was recently traded, and his name rhymes with Mavrikov. <laughs> okay, Mavrikov and Gavrikov. Better. Okay, um, how about some tinfoil hat? Should I put one on for a let's minute? Let's go. All right, <laughs> let's do some tinfoil hat. We ruined the tinfoil hat with the JT Miller we stuff did. earlier. We did. But, but hey, you want circumstance? I don't know how yet? much people are believing that story, but anyways, like I said, I, I can just provide <laughs> what I hear. And you can make your own decisions on stuff. That's all I'm. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. Um, from what were we talking about again? Uh, I lost my train of thought. The Gavrikov, left sorry. shot defenseman, yes, yes, yes. whose Gavrikov. last name rhymes with Mavrikov. Mavrikov. <laughs> okay, so his agent is Dan Milstein. Okay, he's signing for the Canucks. <laughs> That's all I needed. That's it. All right. I should have. I should have. I shouldn't have started. I shouldn't have led with that. They're all buying right. out OEL and they're signing Gavrikov. Let's go. If they clear space and they don't trade for a defenseman, to me, he's the obvious target that lines up. Guess who were teammates back in Ska in like '97, '98? Who? Uh, Andre Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko and Gavrikov, teammates mm. in Russia. Yeah. Hey, just because you're teammates in Russia and have the same age, it doesn't mean you're best friends. Did you just say 97, 98? No, how, sorry. How long have these guys been playing <laughs> hockey for? Sorry. <laughs> 18, 17, 18, or 18, 19. Something like that. I'm yes, sorry. It's fine. I, I, listen, everything is a blur right now. It's, it's, we're, we're, we're getting close. We're on the stretch run. <laughs> I know. 24 hours. Less than 24 hours. Yeah. But you look at all that, and Gavrikov has been adamant he's not signing anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he's already going to sign in Vancouver, but like everything lines up. Same agent, yeah. it lines up. If Vancouver clears enough cap space, what's their move on defense? Like, if I'm putting money down now, like, can we, can we should talk to Matt Lee later. Like, <laughs> can, can, we get a, can we get a line on Canucks free agent signings? Because yeah. if we can, like, I'm, I'm banking one right now on Gavrikov. If so, the Canucks clear space. He uh, has no intention of talking contract with the LA Kings nope. as far as we know right now. And, and they don't even have they don't even have cap space yeah. to sign him next year. Um, and they have so many defensemen coming. Why would you sign Gavrikov? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're probably talking a $5 million ballpark for a defensive defenseman like him. I mean, they wanted the David Savard deal. They didn't really get it. Does he get a David Savard-esque type of contract? I think that's maybe likely. 
uh, for Vladislav Gavrikov going into this summer. Now, you know, a player like that, the metrics are gross, uh, <laughs> really, but you know, whose metrics are good for the Columbus Blue Jackets this year. So I would, you know, take that with a grain of salt on the metrics. But I will say that one game in Vancouver where Columbus didn't look all that great, you really notice Gavrikov. I mean, he plays a heavy game. He's big on the back end, does some things well. Ultimately, what do the Canucks need uh, on the left side? They need somebody who can kill penalties and play a shutdown type role. That's what you got to look for now because Quinn Hughes can do his thing and control the game to a certain level. We know that. Mm -hmm. But can you find a second pair that can play more of your shutdown minutes against the other team's top, top, top guys? Yeah, I, I think that's far easier for you to. Yeah. I think, you know what, like finding a second pair that can play against top minutes. Do you want to use Horonic or Hughes in that type of role? Maybe not. Because you're going to have Hironic, to. Baby. Hironic, maybe. Hironic has shown that he can play in that type of role and been, been this right year. Previous so. years hasn't been as kind to him defensively. Right. Do you need to have a quote unquote shutdown pair? Hmm. Like you match up pair, but like, yeah. do you need to have a quote unquote shutdown pair, or do you need to have two pairs that you kind of throw out there you're not worried about as much? Can you get like equal play out of it? Because I don't know how you're building a shutdown pair with either Quinn or or Heronic unless you put them together. But like everything's not static, right? I can I, see long term your yeah. plan should probably be like, hey, you put Heronic and Hughes together, you guys go and crush, and then you have a second pair that's your shutdown pair. But to me, finding a finding two defensemen that can carry a pairing means you got to find two high quality players together, which I just don't know if you're going to be able to find within the next six to twelve months. It's uh, it's it's a good distinction, you know. Do you want to build a shutdown pair? How do you define a shutdown pair? Like Quinn Hughes doesn't play a shutdown type role, but you know how does he shut down the other team just by you know keeping the puck at the other end of the ice, for the most part. So that is generally positive. I, I I can get all that, but I do think you know there are times where you want um, a more defensively sound pair, or you're going to want that, and you're not getting it with Oliver Ekman Larson. So how do you build that out? I think that's one of the next questions Patrick Alvine is going to have to answer with how he builds out the defense beyond Philip Peronic. Um, the more I look at the player, the more I, you know, again, it's not a black and white situation, but it's it's hard not to like the player himself, Philip Peronic, and, you know, how he's developed over the last couple of years. It's more still about the big picture with the Vancouver Canucks and how the pieces fit. Um, David Pasternak signed... Eight years, eleven point two five million. That is, if we do the math, carry the one. Yeah, it's ninety million over the eight years. Is this an Elias Pettersson comp? Uh, I mean, they're different positions, right? Um, but in terms of superstar player caliber, yes, Pettersson's going to be ballpark. Mm -hmm. We're talking ballpark money here. You know, it's going to be north of 10 million. Does he get to 11, 11.25? Is, is 90 million the cap or is that the starting point? Yeah. You know, like this year, Pasternak may finish with 60 goals. Mm -hmm. He's hitting 50. 
Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a huge number. Pedersen hasn't hit that number, but Pedersen might do something that Pasternak hasn't done, and that's have a 100-point season. That's the freight. We're talk- that's what we're talking about here. And the only way it's slightly cheaper is because Pedersen still has a couple RFA years. Mm-hmm. So you might look at it and say, okay, like for the next two RFA years that you have him for team, the next year you have him for control, that year, maybe the number, instead of being an 11, it's going to be closer to nine. And then that brings the overall AAV down a little bit, potentially. You could, you know, you can view it that way. But even if that happens, you're still talking about at least 88 million, I think. Yeah. You're buying out six years of unrestricted free agency on Patterson. He is at 76 points for the year, as we've talked about, is the best permanent scorer uh, at five on five this year. He's going to get probably close to 40 goals. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to score 12 in the next 20-ish games, 24 games. So we're talking about a player that's right up there with the best in the league plays the most premium forward position uh, is a franchise cornerstone. I don't know how it's um, less than 88 million really. Well, yeah, it's going to be that number it, and, and, and it's it, Pat Brisson. So, you know, you're not getting that much of a discount. Either. No. And if anything it could be they're, they're trying to set it up even higher. Right. So we're talking about it's, it's North of 10 million. That's yeah. what we're talking about. We're talking at least 80 million at the bare minimum. And it's probably going to be higher than that. Like, I think the number is closer to 88, like you mentioned. That's kind of where the range is, where it probably falls into. But I don't think the money's the issue here because I think Vancouver obviously will make it work. They'll figure it out, and that's all going to be fine. It's more about convincing Pedersen, right? But if you're making this deal, the Heronic deal, and you hear Quinn talking about, we don't want to be here for a rebuild, which you mentioned before. That's something he mentioned when he talked to the media. They think they're not that far with, with a few right moves. Are they confident then about Pedersen? Because to me, that's how I read it as well. Like if you're making these moves and we've heard Pedersen talk about leadership, we've seen him and JT get along better. We've seen heard them talk about it. We've seen how Pedersen has approached having more of a leadership role. To me, it shows these moves that there is confidence in that getting done. It's just a matter of figuring out the number, I think. But yep. I think Vancouver is obviously going to go to him and say we want to st- we want you to stay we're gonna give you a lot of money how do we make it as friendly as possible so we can still bring players around you while still making you one of the highest paid play- paid players in the league because if he's willing to stay you can figure that out and i don't think you're making these moves you don't feel like he's going to stay because if you got the indication that patterson wasn't open to signing here i think your approach is different yeah than what you're doing um it, it's it's about putting a winning team together um, but next year, it, it's almost like now next season is like the final year of Elias Pettersson's entry-level contract, <laughs> where it's like, hey, we got him for seven and change for this year. But then after that, we're sort of penciling in $11 million against the salary cap or something close to it, 10 and a half, whatever it might be. Um, that makes next year almost... More of a all-in year, <laughs> well, I mean, in a way, not an all-in year, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like it's it's your last year of having Pedersen at his discounted contract. Yeah, I mean, but just because you're in the last year of his discounted contract doesn't mean you should be making you know irresponsible uh, moves. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't th- I don't think there's any world you can be all-in and expect to win next season. Yeah, I think the bar should Can't abso- go from 27th to first. No, I mean I, the bar should absolutely be to be a playoff team. Yeah, and to be a team that could be dangerous come the playoffs. I think that's not unfair to expect given the team 
is not going to take the longer approach. And if you're not, and we look at Hughes having four more years beyond this and Demko being three more years beyond this, like clock's ticking then. So if that's what you're doing, then don't waste these years, right? But at the same time, I don't think you can get over too aggressive for next year. But I do believe when we start looking at, in general, how this team is going to get built out and what decisions they make, Pedersen's going to get paid, and he's most likely going to stay, right? Yeah. We talk about Hironic. They just traded for him. He has one more year on his contract. He's going to get paid. I don't look at Bavillier. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're going to sign him, or are you going to trade him? Because I don't know if you go into next season with him being in the final year of his contract, and then you're going to let him walk for nothing or just use him for the playoff push, because I don't see a world where we can sign all three of those players. Yeah. Like, that's what, kind of what I wonder about. Like, if you're bringing Hironic in and you're going to give him a big contract, like, there's only so much money you can throw out because the Pedersen number is going to be big and Hironic's number might be big. Like, if Hironic next season, Dan, with the Canucks, puts out 40-plus points and he's the player the Canucks think he is. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to be a $70 million player, potentially. Yeah, he's not getting more than Hughes, so he's probably getting about seven. Maybe could be seven, seven and a half. Yeah. Right? And, like, seven times eight, even, yep. you know? Like, it could be a number around that, if not higher, depending on what type of year he has. If he has, like, if he blows up, and it's hard for him to blow up and get over not, 40 yeah, points because he doesn't play on the first unit power play, yeah. unless they find a role for him. Because, like, I will say, when he plays on the power play, you oftentimes see him end up on the half wall and get his one-timer his one off with the righty shot. Which like, they don't really have right now. No, they don't. But that also... You right now you're using Pedersen and you're using uh, Miller on the half wall, so that would mean you bump one of those guys. So what do you do with that? Do you use Pedersen more as a floater, which he's been using as a bit more? But my point is, if you want to get creative with Hironic, you yeah. could you could use him on the first unit. But to your point, it's unlikely he has a year where he scores 50, 60 points. But if next year he has a massive year, the number is going to be huge. So how is Vancouver going to be able to fork out over twenty million dollars? Because if you're keeping Bavillier as well, if that's how you're you know, banking all this in, mm-hmm. you're talking about spending upwards of 24, 25 million on three players on your salary cap. Yeah. So you're locking into the roster again. So that's why I keep looking at Bavillier, and I'm not saying they're going to flip him tomorrow, by tomorrow, but does it make sense to go into next season with him when you might be able to get something of value throughout the summer? <sighs> this is what makes it so difficult about this team is, and why it's so hard to trade away futures from this team because, you know, it's it's already built on thin ice, you know? You need the depth, whether they're trade assets or players that end up playing for you. And also, it wouldn't hurt to have a couple of you know cheaper players coming through in the next two to three years. Like Ramaki, if he makes it, is still a couple of years away at the very least. You know, Pod Colson, Hoglander, Kravtsov. You're hoping one of those guys hits, but is it likely all three of them hit and provide something for you over the next couple of years? I. Uh, the biggest issue with all of this is that, you know, it feels like the Canucks are built on a house of cards again, right? And that's, you know, when you start asking about Bavillier, even if he might not be due for a huge raise, we're still talking about if he plays with Pedersen for a whole season, you're probably talking about a $5 million guy, right? With the Especially with the rates he's been scoring at since showing up to Vancouver and playing with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. He's the perfect sell-high candidate. Yeah. You know, and if you finish the season strong, I think that's the way you have to look at it. And if you're putting the pieces together here, right? You're putting the pieces together for this roster now that they've made this move. What has to give and how do you build it out? Mm. If, if, you, if you're able to move Garland and Besser, yeah, maybe you, there's a world you can keep Beauvillier. Beauvillier. But you have to move those two guys for that to make sense. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. You're already locked into Kuzmenko and you're locked into Mikheyev, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yep. 
But you got to move out money somewhere. Yeah. Uh, it is a weird puzzle, to say the least. <laughs> a lot of strange-looking pieces in this puzzle right now for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Gordy Locke, a longtime listener to the show. You guys going to talk about the redonkulousness of the Arizona Coyotes franchise? Don't they hurt the cap? Yes, they don't provide much in the way of hockey-related revenue do the Arizona Coyotes. Today, they acquired Jakub Voracek and are now staring in the face of uh, 42% of their salary cap charge being on injured reserve. Now, not all of those players are LTIR, but they've traded for Shea Weber and Jakub Voracek in the last couple of weeks. That alone is like close to $15 million. It's more than $15 million of cap commitments. They still have Andrew Ladd and Brian Little on their books as IR players, essentially just circumventing the cap in order to get to the salary cap floor. That's what the Arizona Coyotes are doing. I don't see how it's any different or how you would call it anything other than circumventing the cap what the Arizona Coyotes are doing. Do you feel the same way about teams who use LTIR to spend over the cap? Oh, I don't love it. No. I've chirped Vegas enough for doing yeah. the same thing. But that's so. so I mean but from the league's perspective if you if you allow one you can't disallow the other. I mean, I guess the NHL can cuz logic doesn't always apply. But like <laughs> logic doesn't apply to the Arizona Coyotes. But that's kind of where it's at. Right. Um, the Arizona Coyotes are Gary Bettman's son that can do no wrong. It's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. You've been arrested seven times. I love you, kid. You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> we still got the trust fund for you. It's fine. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those things where it's really an insurance scam to me from mm-hmm. Tampa, from uh, Arizona standpoint, because all this money is being covered by insurance. They're not; they don't need to spend to the cap because they have all these players to the LTI to LTIR, so they don't have to get to the cap floor. They might spend like forty million on on players next season. Yeah, which is madness. The cap floor is a lot more than that. Where's it at? In the sixties, it's like sixty million. It's like sixty. It'll be about sixty-two million. Yeah. I mean, that's probably where they're going to be at next season. But if you allow teams to overspend, then you're going to be fine with it going the other way as well. So I don't think the league's going to get in its way here. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's pretty embarrassing. I mean, should we be surprised though? We're, we're an arena that has fewer than five thousand seats. Yeah, and the team is like money. trying to figure out any way possible to spend the least amount possible. Yeah, can they acquire back Oliver Ekman Larson? No, too much money. <laughs> Unless he was LTIR. If he wasn't LTIR, yes. I think they would, because insurance would cover the money, but it's, but it's not. It's not likely. No. Uh, somebody's asking us about Pullman. We can do it on the other side. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as of right now, Cap Friendly says they have $50 million in salary commitments, salary expenditure for next year, estimated salary expenditure. But it doesn't include all the insurance money that is covering some of that stan richo satyar shaw we are canuck central chris Faber joins us on the other side on sports at 650 get smarter when you listen to hockey talk the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Canuck Central in the Kid Tech Studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. 
Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, we bring in our next guest here on the show. It is Chris Faber, one of our favorites, and yours, Canucks Convo Podcast. And also, you find him at Canucks Army and find some of his great work there. What's happening, Faber? Long time no talk, boys. How you doing? Oh, uh, we're uh, we're doing all right. Still dissecting this trade from every which way possible. Um, for our listeners that haven't maybe heard your take yet. Um, Philip Peronic to the Vancouver Canucks. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, doesn't really come as much of a surprise, right? I mean, this is what we were told was going to happen. Uh, this is a move that you make, I think, near the end of a retool. So it doesn't uh, come as a surprise, or it shouldn't come as a surprise. Yeah, that's a good. That's a better way of putting it. It <laughs> yeah. shouldn't come as a surprise because I, I think what what surprised a lot of people was seeing the Bo Horvat trade for futures, getting a first round pick, seeing Luke Shen be finally dealt. And then you're thinking, you know, you kind of get that false narrative in your own mind thinking, Hey, they're actually doing a rebuild. Like they're actually doing a rebuild. That sounds like fun. That's going to be good for the long term. That'll be good to hopefully get them near the point of being able to compete for a Stanley cup. But uh, instead it feels like you, you know, you skip a couple steps and you're, you're already at stage kind of, six or seven of a retool. And, and I don't know if that's where the organization really should be at right now, because I think there's a lot of things that need to be addressed, whether it be roster wise, the vibe in the room, how things are being done by the organization. There's a lot of things that, that I think need to be questioned before you can get to that point to retool. So I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. And I don't think you can speed up this process. I think we've learned that over the NHL, especially in the last 10 years or so in this cap era, you can't speed through these things. And heck Vancouver's learned it like since the, you know, the 2011 finals, I think Vancouver fans have seen and learned that lesson. Like it's just difficult to see, but at the same time, listen, they got a great right shot defenseman. And if you're, if you're just a, a Canucks fan who likes to watch half the games on TV and goes to say one game a month, or you're from the Island or Kamloops or Kelowna and you come in twice a year, like you're, you're super stoked. Like, you know what this, they're putting a better product on the ice in the end. I don't think this better product is good enough to get you to a Stanley cup final though. Well, I mean, there, there's so much more work they have to do to get to that point. And we looked at this draft and I think when we started breaking down, breaking it down, we said, Hey, it would be an ideal situation if the Canucks find a forward and a defenseman in this draft. Like could you, depending on where the Islanders pick falls, could you get one of those two things? And, I think in this draft, especially if the Canucks do end up having, you know, a top seven, eight pick, I think they can get a forward there, Chris, who can play in your roster maybe in a year or two, right? But uh, the defenseman, that was a harder thing to kind of find. I want to see what the big picture looks like, because if they if they hold on to their pick, which I hope they do, and if they somehow get some luck and they do some other things, maybe it makes sense, because I'm not big on trading both picks, especially with some of the rumors out there about the Canucks being after guys. I don't think that's going to happen. But maybe if you do find a forward and this is a defenseman you found and you do some other moves, maybe it does make sense in two years. Yeah, I think you have some options, obviously. I mean, it sucks to see their second round pick go away, I guess, because yeah. that's kind of a spot where you could have really targeted um, a defenseman that you believe is a first round pick. I mean, that that pick's probably going to be in the top 40. It's going to be somewhere in the 30s, right? I mean, 
that that's difficult, but uh, I, I think you can still spin this and hopefully get the right position guys that you need. Like there's certainly options um, in Europe. There's certainly options in the NCAA. Like you can try and fill these spots, but I, I don't think that's the best way to do it. I think the best way is from the draft or potentially like I, I, I think all cards are on the table. The Canucks could end up moving their first round pick. If it's not, you know, if it's not in the top seven, I, I just don't know with the organization anymore. I don't know what's, driving them towards a rebuild to hear Jim Rutherford say like, Hey, you know, they're here to fix this, fix this in two to three years, instead of wait for one of these guys that they draft now and take five years to, to develop. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I bring up like David Reinbacker is a great example. The guy who I think is the mm-hmm. top defenseman in this draft. Um, I think he's going to go in the top 10. I don't think that's going to surprise a lot of people. Everybody looking at the rankings right now is probably thinking I'm crazy, but uh, he will rise a lot uh, as draft day approaches. That guy, I'm very confident he's going to be in your AHL team next year. Like he's he's the type of player who comes over from Europe, goes to the AHL, and it's like, is that guy really five years away? Is he spending five years in the AHL? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think so. And that might be a player that you can get at you know, eight to 14 in that range. So it's not necessarily just the top five guys yeah. that, that are very close to being in the NHL. You can find some, I mean, the draft gets better every year. It feels mm-hmm. like these players are better and better coming out at 18. Well, to me, it makes zero sense to move the other pick. Like, I mean, and yeah. I wouldn't like, Hey, we love the draft, right? We talk about the draft and uh, the, the potential of having that pick and what it f- falls out to ideally holding on to it. I, it makes no sense to me. Even if the pick falls, let's say it's the worst case scenario, scenario as a ninth overall pick, Fabes, like there's a player at ninth you can take who could be an impact player in two years. Like absolutely, like I look at this draft, man. There's so many nice forwards, winger for, wingers too, and guys who could play center even in that nine ten range. We're gonna play games for you in a couple of years. Like I think the forward problem is gonna be solved long term in this draft as long as you hold on to your pick. Yeah, there's there's gonna be a ton of all stars coming out of this draft. I mean, there's so much talent specifically kind of in that top like i think it drops off a little bit after six mm-hmm. i might say right around six i think it drops a little bit then you have kind of another group it really honestly like the next basically 20 picks i think can go any direction i think the top six you're gonna see pretty set in stone but after that you're you're really picking for the player that you value the highest and i mean if you're the canucks and you're sitting at nine you're likely drafting the guy that you have just outside of the top five by that point, because I really think it could be a crapshoot at that point. Uh, and you are going to be able to get a guy who's going to make an impact, at least be on your power play uh, a couple years from the time you draft him, like, and put him into that role if you develop him correctly. And it's just, you know, a lot of these guys, like there's players in Sweden's not really a great example, but you look around other leagues and you look around guys in junior, they're willing to go to the AHL. There's a new agreement now between the NHL, the AHL, Sweden, Europe, junior, like you can, it's so much easier to get a player into the AHL and develop them with your hands on real close to your organization. Like there's, there's a lot more options for that to happen right now. And with that at your disposal, you really can push these guys not necessarily into the NHL, but you can push their development, I think, up like a full year or two. So you are able to get impact players much sooner than people think. Well, the, um, you know, one of the big bets they're making is, you know, the, the improvements they've made on the player development side and in Abbotsford is going to pay off big dividends and help them build out the depth of their NHL roster. You've been following it as close as anybody, if not closer than anyone. You know, how positive should we be about the improvements made in Abbotsford? And is it likely that, you know, they, they've built out some players that can fill out the bottom of the roster, which is not something this team has done in the past? Yeah, I don't think they've added a ton to the development staff as they did last year, specifically for Abbotsford. But I think what's great about 
that is they didn't lose anybody either. So they've got that same group of guys that were there with the rookies last year, helping Danila Klimovic. Now they're in year two with him. Um, I, I really think the development staff has done an excellent job. Like the Sedins, like I don't think people really understand. Like it feels like every game that I'm at, I go to Vancouver games, I go to Abbotsford games, like the Sedins are there. I don't like, I guess, you know, there has to be two of them, I guess. So maybe I'm only seeing one of them and like they're only actually working three and a half days each, but like they are always working. They are always out in Abbotsford. They are doing an excellent job with development with these players. I mean, when I talked to Atu Ratu just days after he got traded, he's already talking about spending 45 minutes of one-on-one or one-on-two time, I guess, with the Sedins and how great that was for him and specifically his game as a guy who really isn't, you know, that quick. Uh, neither were the Sedins. They're Hall of Famers. So if, if you are going to learn from somebody and you're at Ratu, like the Sedins are a great example of that. But now you're starting to see kind of the, the funneling of AHL players into the NHL, whether that be because of injuries, poor play, whatever it may be, or even just getting some of your NHLers down to the AHL to develop like Pod Colson or Niels Huglander, you're starting to see some sort of connection between the way that they're being coached in the AHL and how they're having success in the NHL. I mean, Jeremy Colton's doing an incredible job of teaching good defensive, just strategy, structure, everything, whatever you want to call it. There, there's so many periods where I watch Abbotsford and I think, man, what a great 20 minutes of hockey defensively. Like they allowed, they'll have periods where they allow three shots on net, four shots on net. And you're like, wow, like they, they are doing a lot of things right down here. I don't think it's just the development staff and the people that they have out there, but it's how they're executing things from the practices into game action. You're seeing a much better job of that be done this year in Abbotsford, I think. Well, I think that's one of the positives of this year is some of that development going well. At least it seems like they have something in place that's going to help these guys along. And that's what makes the other players they might acquire interesting. Now, Kraftsov, we don't think is going to end up in Abbotsford because he's probably not going to come back if that's where he's going to have to play. He's made it very clear <laughs> he's not willing to play in the AHL. But I wonder if the Canucks, if they make other moves here to bring prospects in, how's that going to, you know, kind of work out for them because I look at some of the guys that are playing for them now like Atu Ratu's with the big club but I don't think he's here because they feel like he's earned it it's more about you know they have a plan for him but I see that guy needing a full year still in Abbotsford next season and to work with that program and to put in the work this offseason so when I look at those guys I don't view them being close to ready yet no, and I agree. I, I think the only reason Atu Ratu's up right now is to make him more comfortable with that move. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a 20-year-old kid. Listen, it's you're going to have a lot more people helping you at the NHL than you will at the AHL. I, I think they do a good job down there. Those are just the facts, though. You're going to have more support staff, um, more PR staff, everything. I think that's the reason Ratu's up here right now is it's a lot more comfortable for him to play in the NHL. I completely am on the same page with you. I think him going down to the AHL and really learning how to become a two-way center with offensive upside is what you need to see. That's likely to be as a top-line guy pretty early on, I think, into next season. You want to see him continue to develop confidence and be able to grow with some of these younger players that they have out there. Um, I think it's going to be – there's a few players. Like, everybody's excited about Danila Klimovic. Uh, Arshdi Baines is starting to get some some chatter around him as well. Like, these guys do need probably another year. But at the same time, like, I could see some NHL games coming to Klimovic next year. I could see that. Uh, I could see Baines maybe even getting into some this year. So these young players that have kind of really bought into the development and working on the things that – not not necessarily show up on the score sheet and show up on the stat books, but like Archdeep Baines does so many things right, and he's been working at it and becoming a smarter hockey player. Like those type of things, I think really matter to a guy like Jeremy Carlton or the rest of his coaching staff. So when somebody calls Carlton and asks him, "Hey, what's what's going on? Who's really developing?" Like 
the guys that are doing the things that you don't really get noticed as much when it comes to just going to elite prospects and looking at the stats, like those guys are getting shout outs, I think from Carlton because they're doing a very good job of developing and working on the parts of the game that you really need to get to the next level. And I think that's something that I'd like to see in Abbotsford anyways. Well, and you know, they've taken this focus on development. You know, we've seen them acquire Kravtsov here. Um, potentially there's rumors of, of maybe more of those types of players being on the, on the radar for, for the Vancouver Canucks. It just, um, it still feels like, you know, a lot of this is, is still built on a house of cards as we've talked about, but you know, the one player that I keep coming back to that I think we need to see more from, and we've started to see at least a couple of goals out of him, Vasily Pod Colson. How, how do you feel he's looked since coming back to the NHL? And do you think he'll find, you know, a bigger gear of offense than what we've seen so far? Yeah. Still waiting for that that playoff version of him in the KHL to show up, right? The guy who just goes out there and wins you games. Like I, I couldn't believe he was doing that in the KHL at 19 years old. He was the best player on that team, which was a powerhouse team at the time. And you, you were starting to see shades of that in the AHL, like uh, his last little bit of a run there. I think he's putting up four five, six, seven shots basically per night. Like you could tell he was, very aware that he could dominate a game and he was able to do that at the AHL level. I don't think that level has even been, you know, glanced at by him as his time in the NHL. I don't think he's seen really that he can do that. And it's difficult because if you can't do that and there's, I think still some potential for pod Colson to be able to be a, a pretty dominant physical player at times, but maybe he can't be that right. Like maybe he isn't going to live up to the highest point of the ceiling that a lot of people hope for. The next question is, how is he going to adjust? How is he still going to be an effective player in your middle six instead of a guy that just kind of sits on your fourth line? So I, I'm curious to see how that works with him. I think buying into the structure and everything that's coming on with the new coach is good. Like if you're at practice, you you can see him working a lot with Rick Tockett. Like I was there early yesterday and it was Pod Colson and Tockett doing one-timers and, and Sadin's jumped in and Pod Colson's out there working. There's definitely no questioning his work ethic. That's, I think, at a ridiculous level it's it's top tier on this team he's the guy who spends it feels like much more ice time than everybody else during practice like it's just going to be to me about how does he adjust to become the best NHLer possible instead of just being you know a guy who isn't as consistent of a power forward like I don't I don't know if that's his game I, I think what it's going to be is like kind of like the typical grinder with upside with offensive upside I think that's where we're going to end up finding pod Coles and find really you know, his comfort zone in the NHL. Uh, I'm just curious how effective that's going to be and how does he get there? What does he have to change to get there? I think there's a lot of questions about what his future is. And, you know, after a strong rookie season, it's it's been a down year. It's been a down year for sure. And you hope that that down year comes with a little bit uh, of development, right? Some improvements, some certain things where we, we talk about a rebuild, it, it's kind of like the slingshot, right? Like you can pull it back a little bit and let go. It's not going to shoot very hard. But if you really pull back and take some steps back and steps back and then let it go, that's when a rebuild is working well for you. You wonder if Pod Colson has a similar thing in his game where does he need to just rebuild what he is as an NHLer? I don't think he needs to change a ton. Like Pod Colson needs a retool more than the Canucks. The Canucks need a rebuild. Like Pod Colson only really needs like a retool, uh, I think, in his game. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I do think he's probably going to change. Um, 
I think people's view of what he could be is going to end up changing a little bit, and that might not be a horrible thing, but it's just going to be a different thing than what people thought. I think it's getting maybe got out of hand the thought of like, is he going to be a sixty point guy, maybe seventy point guy? Could he score thirty goals? It's like okay, if, always a projection for him, wasn't it? If he plays at his best, he's maybe a 40, 50 point guy, can do a bit of everything, and and be one of those hard to find forwards that can help you out. I think that's still his kind of ceiling, I'd say, if everything breaks right. But this expectation for him to be this game breaking offensive player, I think that's always asking too much. I don't think he's ever outside of maybe when he was 17 and there was some projection that he could be a top two or three pick that maybe thought people thought that. But since then, I don't think anybody's really thought he has that type of upside in him. Yeah, I think the thing that's going to be interesting is he like I got to see him in playoff hockey. I, yeah. I saw I've never seen him play at such a high level and such an you know, blocking every shot twice, it felt like, and then going out there and banging bodies in the corners and then scoring goals. Like watching him play in that KHL playoffs, he was ridiculous. And I I think that might be the thing that you can hope for from him is, you know, two, three, four, 12 years down the road, whenever the Canucks are in the playoffs, you, you want to see what he looks like as a playoff player. I think that's the big thing. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens if that, you know, can he step up his game with something else aside from playoff hockey? Because if he can, great. If not, I mean, you have an NHLer here still in Pod Colson, no matter the case. Well, that's the thing, and the question is: is the upside? Niels Hoaglander has been crushing it as in terms of the highlight reel lately in the in the AHL. But his overall game, there's been some questions about the details, right? And that's what they're working on with him with Jeremy Colleton, and you know, especially with the waiver eligibility drying up pretty quickly. I think they're taking their time here. But what do you make of his progress, and uh, how much, how likely it is that he could be the player this team had envisioned one day? Well, if every question that you kind of had for him to do down in the AHL, he's done it and he's passed with a hundred percent grade. Like he has been excellent at, you know, being in the right spot defensively mm-hmm. for checking hard, breaking up pucks at the point. He He's so confident in his own game right now. And that's, you know, at the AHL level, it's not where you'd love to see this confidence finish, but it, it is something that's interesting. When I talked to him last week, I asked him like, Hey, what's the confidence level? Cause you're scoring goals. Now you're trying, you, know, you tried the Michigan from behind the net a couple of times. Like you're, you're there and you're feeling confident. And he said like the confidence has always been there, but like he's, he's been aware that there are things that he has to work on, right? Like there are things that he has to change about his game. And I think he's really buying in down there. Like, you know, I, I hate to say his name again, but like Carlton has done a really good job. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's done a really good job and got these young guys to buy in uh Huglander's a great example and seeing him, do things that I never saw him do at the NHL and, and be that engaged in the HL is something, right? Cause that's a tough ask from a guy who just spent two seasons in the NHL and you're like, Hey, go down to our minor leagues now and work on the things. So he's like, man, I, I just was in the NHL doing well. Like, I don't know what's happened. And that's kind of all about development, right? He never got that development. He's getting it now, but uh, it is, it's like, he's NHL ready. Like he's, he's at the point. I don't think he has much more to gain. Uh, in the AHL, I've seen enough, at least anyways, to think that he has improved on the things that we wanted. And yeah, I think he's ready for the NHL any day. It, it wouldn't shock me to get him up here pretty soon. It's just going to be, you know, what happens with Kraftstoff and, and Ratu and Studnika and all these other guys that are filling out your forward group right now. Like, I don't know what the Canucks plan is to with Niels Huggland. They might just want to leave him down there. They might just leave him down there and roll with the AHL into the AHL playoffs. And I don't know how he would feel about that. Uh, Chris Faber, our guest, uh, only have a couple more minutes, but I, I, I did want to get this one in. Is Lucas Forsell the next Marcus Nasland? Oh, <laughs> I love me some Lucas Forsell. That's my guy. Uh, yeah, the, he can't stop scoring. I think 11 goals in his last 23 SHL games. There is no player in the SHL 
under the age of 27 who is scoring more than Forcell. He's scoring more than every young player in the SHL ever since he was called up. Like the kid went down uh, to the minor leagues, the the Alsvenskan over there in Sweden. He went down there for a 20 game stretch. He came back and he cannot stop scoring goals. I mean, this is really good stuff. He won't be coming over next year. Uh, we just had him on our show yesterday. Um, he won't be coming over next year. Sounds like a minimum of two years. So like all of next season, the year after that, and then he might even take another year. But what I think from talking to him and hearing literally from him about it. So like, I, I think he wants to come and jump right into the NHL. I think I mentioned it earlier to you guys of just like, you know, Sweden's not super high on the AHL. Uh, they're yeah. not uh, very jacked up about coming over here and playing in the A. Um, so I think Forcell's in that camp where he might take some extra years, but you're probably like, he's 19. So if he does take two more years, he's 21 when he comes over here and he's ready for the NHL. Like, oh yeah, he's a seventh round pick. It's he's, He's been excellent. I, I think Sweden made a huge mistake leaving him off of their world junior team this past year. He's been one of the best U27 scorers, and he wasn't even on the U20 team. It's wild. Uh, Faber, we appreciate the time as always. We'll see you at the rink tonight. You betcha, boys. We'll see you there. I think uh, bring me one of those snacks up there, Richo. You know I love those things. <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, all right. Talk soon. There he is, Chris Faber, uh, joining us from uh, Canucks Combo, Canucks Army. And, you know, we, we've uh, had a lot of other things to sort of talk about, given, you know, uh, the Canucks traded for Philip Peronik yesterday. Mm -hmm. But you now one of the things we had planned to talk about is where does Atu Ratu sort of rank as, among Canucks prospects? And he's probably at the top, right? Yeah, I mean, he's top two. But is Forcell still a guy that is being overlooked? Well, he's a top 10 prospect, Forcell yeah. for me. Um, I mean, we were talking about Forcell last year, and I was like, hey, I might even put him in my top five. Him and Meyerberg we were talking about. Like, yeah. Keep an eye on both these guys. I'd have Forcell in my top ten for sure. I mean, put him behind EP2, yep. DPD. We can flesh him. out the list a little bit more as the weeks go on, but it is interesting to see that player really, really start to pop and continue to pop at the SHL level. And, you know, the development of this team, as long as they are, you know, spending these type of draft pick assets and you know, being able to develop guys, whether it's the ones they already have or through the AHL, mm -hmm. it's going to be a massive part of whatever build they've got coming in the next little while. Stan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, the pregame. We'll get more into what the Canucks have done at this deadline and what to expect against the Minnesota Wild tonight. Plus, we're joining up with Sportsnet Pacific. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah on the Sportsnet Radio Network.